Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Relieved. Nothing personal word of the day. Today is Tuesday, August 24th, and I'm worked up. Coke is worked up. Two stories at least that we are going to dive deep into. We're going to talk about what's going on in Los Angeles with the Tyler Skaggs death and what is going on with the FBI and everything else. But we got to start with relieved because, as you know, I've relieved many coaches of their duties the San Diego Padres fired their pitching coach. There are 36 games to go. The San Diego Padres are cratering. Tatis is playing. Blake Snell. Remember when they remember in the good old days when the season was starting? The Padres had Darvish and Snell and Paddock and Musgrove and Machado and Hosmer and Myers and Sleepy and snoozy and dopey and droopy. And A.J. Preller said, we want to be competitive. We want to win this division. We are built to win the World Series. And I said, eh, A.J. Preller can't build the World Series team. A.J. Preller shouldn't have a job as a general manager, but he does. A.J. Preller should never do a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays, but he did. If the Rays are trading to Blake Snell, don't take him. It's quite simple. Don't take him. If they're trading Rich Hill to the Mets, don't take them, Stevie. Don't take them. I'm just a fan. What do I know? Just don't take them. Larry Rothschild, longtime pitching coach. Yankees, Cubs, doesn't matter if he's a rookie pitching coach. When I fired coaches, it was in April or May, maybe June sometimes. Coca, could you find out what day in 2000 we fired Louis Pujols, who was Felipe Alou's bench coach, which was a shot across the bow at Felipe Alou, a precursor to firing him and bringing in Jeff Dorborg. When did we fire him? I'm not sure that was late. Today is August 24th. The Padres fired their pitching coach on August 23rd with 36 games to go. And what Jace Tingler said is laughable. Let's start with the easy one. He released a statement. Very nice of him to start with by saying, Larry has been a tremendous asset for our organization over the last two seasons, and we appreciate the experience, hard work, dedication that he brought to the position. We wish him nothing but the best in the future. All you do is replace Larry with whatever name you're using. That's a statement that doesn't mean anything, but then, but then you get to the ballpark. Then you have to do a call. Then you have to talk off the top of your head and say a few more things. And boy, did he ever. When coaches get fired, guess who is not in charge of that decision? Just guess. The manager. When I go down and talk to the manager and say that we want to fire a coach, the manager every single time for every single team says no. 
I don't want him fired. Managers are loyal to their coaches when there are coaching changes made that managers want. Those are done in the offseason when the manager doesn't have to look the coach in the face or look his other coaches in the face. In-season coaching changes are never, ever, ever, never say never, ever done by the manager. Because what about the remaining coaches? It is critical for the coaches to think the manager has your back as it relates to dealing with the GM in the front office upstairs. But Tingler said firing Rothschild was 100% his decision. Not 90, not 80, not even 50, 100%. AJ Preller, ah, you had nothing to do with it. Peter Seidler, Ron McGill. It's not Ron McGill. That's funny. Ron Fowler. Ron McGill, why is that? Oh, Ron McGill is from Levitard. Sorry. Sorry, Ron, not you. The zoo. Ron Fowler? Nope. It was all Tingler. Do you know what the odds are that Jace Tingler had 100% of the say that a pitching coach was going to be fired on August 23rd? Zero percent. Those are the odds that he had 100% of this decision. Here's how it goes. AJ Preller goes to his owner and he says, listen, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe we've lost so many games. I can't believe we're so far back in the standings. I'm not sure what we should be doing. Oh, I know what we can do. Our pitching stinks. Why don't we just fire the pitching coach? And the owner says, well, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Through June, we had like the best ERA. And now since then, we have an ERA under five. That's, you know, is that really Rothschild's fault? Blake Snell, the guy you told us was going to be great, stinks. Chris Paddock, the guy you said who was a number one, is exactly what that Samson guy said, nothing personal. He's a number five or six. And we knew Darvish was great, but he's hurt. What are we supposed to do? Well, AJ said, listen, I I think we got to make a change here because we got to salvage this season. It's yet another year of Machado at 30. This is a time. This is our moment. We can't go backwards. And the owner says, do you think it'll help? AJ Preller says, it doesn't matter if it'll help. We got to tell Tingler to do it. But Larry Rothschild is such a veteran. Do you think that's the issue? Talk to me, AJ. Tell me something. AJ calls up Jace and says, Jace, hey, buddy, because that's how he became a manager, by the way, which is normal in baseball. Hey, buddy, I got a question. What do we do here with 30, 36 games left? I did a little program with the analytics department, and it says that we really have to go 23 and 13. And if we go 23 and 13, we're going to be fine. But can we do that with Larry Rothschild? And Tingler said, what do you mean with Larry Rothschild? It's 36 games left. What are we going to do? Just bring the bullpen coach up? The bullpen coach already is in the bullpen. He already has the ear of the pitchers in the bullpen. He already has the ear of the pitchers who are starting. He does? Well, yeah, that's who should be the pitching coach. He should? It's not like they brought in someone from the outside with a different voice. They're bringing in the bullpen coach from the bullpen to the dugout. Does that mean that Jace wants a different voice next? I'm worked up, Coca. Does that mean that Tingler wants a different voice in the dugout during the game? to give him suggestions as to who should be coming in out of the bullpen or when the starting pitcher should be pulled? Does that mean the bullpen coach has no say? Bullpen coaches are definitely below the pitching coach on the totem pole. But if the bullpen coach has ideas and opinions, the bullpen coach should say so. 
And if the bullpen coach is so respectful of the pitching coach that he doesn't say a word, that's not the bullpen coach I want. I don't want psychophants. I don't want scaredy cats. I want someone who's willing to say what should be done and when it should be done. And when your boss disagrees, you go with what your boss says, but you make your opinion heard. So Larry Rothschild gets fired. Okay. What else does Tingler say? Oh, he keeps going. Larry's brought a lot to us, a lot of experience, a ton of knowledge. I believe he was the right guy at the right time. We've won a lot of games with Larry as the pitching coach. But moving forward, we've been in a situation where we certainly had some injuries, which has to be the pitching coach's fault, of course. There's no doubt about that. But we've had some inconsistency on the mound. And I just think at the end of the day, we haven't reached our level of consistency on the mound. That's not an A.J. Preller issue. Definitely not. It's not the team president's fault. No way. With 36 games to go, Tingler continued, we wanted to try to give a different message, a different voice. OMG. So the pitchers walk into the, this is what happens when you fire a coach, by the way. The players walk in, you sit down and have a team meeting. You tell the players what you've done. You explain to the players why you did it. The players get quiet. You then leave the clubhouse and the players have a players only meeting where they talk about what they're going to say publicly, even though we would have had our PRP people talking to the players, giving them some talking points, which most of them wouldn't listen to. The players acknowledge, hey, we didn't do our jobs. It's our job. We're the ones who play on the field. It's like what the Yankees said when Aaron Boone was in trouble. Only a few weeks ago, when leaders like Stanton said, hey, we got to play the game. A.J. Preller says, we need a change. Jay Singler says, I don't think we should be doing that. A.J. Preller says, we're going to do it. A.J. Preller says, and you're going to say it was your decision. Do you know what Jay Singler does in the dugout and in the clubhouse when A.J. Preller's not there? He says, hey, my hands were tied. This was a front office decision. But wait a minute. What did you say in the media? Who cares what I said in the media? You know very well that I wouldn't want to make a change with 36 games to go. Jace Tingler cannot face his players today as they enter a huge three-game series against the Dodgers with his players thinking that he's the one who wanted to make a coaching change with 36 games to play. He can't do it. The Padres will go 13 and 23 if his players believe that that's what he thought was the best thing to do. We've been talking for months, months about A.J. Preller and the Padres and their team and the reality of their team. Coke and I were preparing for this show and deciding what to lead off with. I wanted to lead off with Rothschild because I am uniquely positioned to tell you what it is to fire a coach and when to fire a coach and why different voice, a change, a shot across the bow to the manager. All of those are legitimate to a president, although they don't work. We got lucky. We made a managerial change in 03 and won the world series. We made managerial changes for 15 years after that and didn't win squat fired hitting coaches, pitching coaches didn't make a bit of difference. The people who needed to be fired were me because I was allowing players to be signed or not signed and decisions to be made where we didn't have the players that were good enough. One of the things that Coco wanted me to mention 
and it is a funny thing, is that do you remember how good the Padres were in the beginning of the season? They're pitching when foreign substances were allowed. What happens if every Padre was using a foreign substance and now they're not? And that's why they stink. And I said to Coca then, and I'll say it now on the air, Matt, every team is in the same position. It's all relative. Okay. We have to, uh, oh, thank you. Louis Pujols was fired on July 20th, 2020. That's still a month earlier than this. There was a reason for that. We fired our pitching coach and hitting coach because Philippe, our bench coach and pitching coach, because Philippe Alou didn't want them fired. And we said to Philippe, we're doing it. Philippe said, fine. You might as well just fire me too. And we said, ah, not yet, but soon. All right, we're going to switch gears. There's no way to transition. We're going to talk about what's going on in California with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. It's a serious subject, serious conversation with serious implications. We have an opioid problem in this country. Players are people. When they're not doing their job for three hours a day between the lines on TV, they have the same pressures. They have the same anxieties. They have the same issues that we all have. The one thing players have that I don't have, that many people don't have, I use a microphone. Players use their body 162 games out of 180 days, whether you're a pitcher or position player. Players get paid to play. I get paid if this show sucks. Coca gets played, gets paid if he doesn't record the show. The ramification of a bad show is you not listening and the audience disappearing. Maybe I won't get another contract. Maybe the show will get canceled and I'll start another show somewhere else. Baseball players, until they sign their guaranteed contracts, have to play and they have to play to get bulk. They have to play to get stats because that's how they get paid. Players get hurt and they try to play through injury. And the way to play through injury is through painkillers. Ask how many NFL players take Toradol or how many major league pitchers shoot themselves up before a game because they can't feel their arm and elbow because there's so much pain. So they need a numbing agent. Ask players after a game how much pain they're in when you see ice on their shoulder and their elbow. It's not normal to throw a ball 95 miles an hour 100 times. Or a curveball, which is even harder on your elbow and shoulder. Now, I agree that players are coddled in certain instances as it relates to travel and hotels and schedule, etc. But the physical toll on their body for playing baseball cannot be understood by fans. You've got to be inside a clubhouse and talking to players and seeing it up close and personal. We are very careful about prescribing opioids after surgery. We give a small number of pills when necessary. We speak to the players about addiction. We monitor the players. We look at the players. We're with the players. Is it possible that players can be addicted to opioids? And we wouldn't know. Yes. Is it likely? No. Is it possible? Yes. Is it possible that Tyler Skaggs was an opiate addict and hit it very well from his team? Yes. He didn't hide it from a director of communications named Eric Kay. Here is the hierarchy, owner of a team has a president. 
The president reports to the owner. Then there's a president of baseball operations that reports to the president. In some cases, the president of baseball operations reports directly to the owner. The president of the team has about six to eight people who report to him directly. The vice president of marketing, the chief financial officer, the COO, the head of sales, the vice president or executive vice president of communications. Under the communications umbrella, you've got media relations, baseball, media relations, business. You've got often publications like the yearbook and the media guide, the magazine, in-game entertainment can fall under marketing or communications. But there's several areas under the head of communications. For the Angels, the man was Tim Mead, who then left the Angels, went to the Hall of Fame, has now left the Hall of Fame for reasons that we can all surmise, given that he needs a lawyer now. Underneath the VP of communications, in the media relations baseball department, the media relations baseball department travels with the team. They are in the clubhouse before and after games. They bring players to and from interviews. They let players know when they're going to be interviewed, where, what appearances they have to make in conjunction with the community affairs department, which often is under communications as well, sometimes marketing. It's a business. It's a big business. As the president of the team, I knew my director of communications very well. His name was Matt. Really good at his job. Did I have direct privity to Matt Roebuck? No, he reported to PJ. PJ reported to me. Matt, upstanding director of communications. Would I have known if he had been an addict only if I'd been told or seen it or been told? Apparently, Eric K was an addict. And apparently there are people in the organization who knew because Eric K went to rehab several times. If I ever had an employee in rehab, I would know no matter what the level president of the team, I would know and I would tell the owner, we have an employee in sales who we are putting on a leave of absence who's going to rehab for addiction. If I knew that there was an employee inside the clubhouse who had an opiate addiction, that person would no longer be allowed in the clubhouse. Hard stop. I was aware of relationships that my players had with mermaids. I was aware of my relationships my players had with employees. was my job. People ask why you ran the clubhouse so much because that's my job. Eric Kay apparently was dealing drugs in the clubhouse to players. And unfortunately, one of the Oxycontins was laced with fentanyl. Tyler Skaggs took it and died. The FBI announced yesterday that they've got evidence in their case where criminal charges against Eric Kay are forthcoming, potentially against his boss, Tim Mead. And the Angels have a real problem. The government wants to show that there was a drug ring in the clubhouse. The government wants to show that Eric Kay provided Tyler Skaggs with counterfeit oxycodone pills. The government wants to prove that Skaggs ingested those pills and then died. The government wants to prove that traces of fentanyl were found in Eric Kay's desk, which is not in the clubhouse. The question is, what culpability is there as you go up the chain? 
Coca spent 20 minutes of our pre-show prep telling me that Artie Moreno should be forced to sell the team, that the president of the Angels should be fired. That what Artie Moreno did is the single worst thing you can do because it led to the death of someone. And I agree, death is far worse than anything else. But how should an owner know? We're willing to give Mark Cuban the benefit of the doubt that he didn't know about the harassment going on in his company. We're willing to give Daniel Snyder the benefit of the doubt. I'm not willing to give either one of them. I'm the president of a team and I take responsibility for anything that happens. I'm not taking criminal responsibility, but I'm taking responsibility if something's going on in my clubhouse. So then I started thinking last night, 3 a.m. I couldn't sleep. I've been on a terrible stretch of sleep. I don't know if you can see the roll, my eyes, the rolls under my eyes, the rags, the, the puffiness. We're on YouTube at Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Please subscribe. By the way, thank you for staying with us. But last night at 3 a.m., I had a thought, another torturous thought about Jose Fernandez. Jose Fernandez had cocaine in his system when he crashed his boat and passed away in September of 2016. I live with the guilt enough about the fact that he should have been out that night. He should have been pitching the next day. I live with the what ifs. I live with watching his fiance, then fiance and now daughter. As she's growing up without a father, I think about it every day. But at 3 a.m., I got a new thought, which is I used to only think about what could I have done to stop him from getting on the boat, and that is have him pitch that day. But what if he got on the boat the next day? Should I have been responsible for knowing that he was doing drugs? Did I know other players did drugs? Yes, I know that other players smoke weed. More players than you know smoke weed. I've never seen a player do cocaine. I've never seen cocaine in the clubhouse. I've never seen a player who was addicted to opiates. I've never seen anyone go into rehab. I've never seen any of that in my 18 years. But does it mean just because I haven't seen it that it didn't happen? Does it mean just because I haven't seen it that I'm not responsible? So the burden that I had at 3 a.m. was maybe Artie Moreno or the team president, Carpino, because Artie Moreno is the same as Jeffrey Loria, and I would never pin anything on Jeffrey Loria because it was my job. And I decided what I told him and what I didn't. And if he didn't know something, it's because I didn't tell him. So should I be responsible? What if one of our employees gave Jose that cocaine? I started thinking about that. I don't have an answer. I don't think so. I wouldn't think so. A lower level executive or a lower level employee in the clubhouse? It's hard to live with the what ifs and the questions that exist in the Los Angeles Angels locker room right now with Tyler Skaggs' family, with ownership, with everyone impacted by this. In the halls of the commissioner's office of Major League Baseball, we can fight all we want with the players about money. But when it comes to drug abuse, if there is not unanimous support, when it comes to domestic violence, if there's not unanimous support, then you know very well you're dealing with disingenuous people who couldn't give one flying rat's ass about any of their employees. And I've been harsh on nothing personal about players. You've heard me. But it's always around business. It's always around money. It's not around life. Artie Moreno is not going to be forced to sell the team. Artie Moreno is going to be forced to write a check. 
There will be civil lawsuits. There will not be criminal suits where Artie Moreno will be implicated. The reason why Artie Moreno will not be forced to sell a team is Rob Manfred will never be able to come up with 23 owners who will agree to vote Artie Moreno out as owner because every one of the other 29 owners say, wait a minute, that could be me. And I'm not allowing that to be me. They don't say that about Donald Sterling. They don't say that could be me because you're either racist or not. But when it comes to something going on in your clubhouse, on your team, all you people who thought that Snyder would be forced to sell or Cuban, and I said, no chance, toilet pants. Because owners never do to that, do to another what could eventually be done to themselves. I got a correction I got to make before we go to break. Corrections are, we do a show. We do 45 minutes. We don't edit. When I make a mistake, you hear it. It's impossible to get everything right because Coca is only one guy and CBS gives us Coca and me. That's it. It turns out, thank you for giving me the correction because, you know, I'll get to it. Rob Ursay moved the Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis. We talked about this yesterday. Art Modell moved the Cleveland Browns to Baltimore to become the Ravens. But what no one corrected me on is who did what overnight. That's what I want to make sure I get right. If you listen to yesterday's show, which I think you did. And thank you. All right. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that is on HBO Max with Hugh Jackman. And we're going to talk a little bit about a follow up to Steve Cohn's tweet from yesterday. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson. We're back. Thank you so much for downloading and rating and reviewing and following and all the stuff you do to keep this show going and to keep Coca gainfully employed. You may have gotten on Twitter at David P. Sampson and noticed a picture of me and Coco. We were together, <clears throat> which you heard about on yesterday's show. We saw each other for the first time since COVID. I had no idea that he had any tattoos at all. Who knew, Coca? <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. I watch a movie every day. I watched a movie called Reminisce with Hugh Jackman, Fanny Newton, 
and Rebecca Ferguson. It is directed and written, and I'm going to get it wrong. Here it goes. I believe that Reminisce is directed and written by Christopher Nolan's sister-in-law. I think. Reminisce wants to be Inception, but it's not. Lisa Joy wrote a very interesting movie, though, that is getting panned, and I don't know why. Hugh Jackman, to me, is the narrator. He is the star. He plays a person in the future. And it's Miami, of course, Billy Corbin, because Miami, where sea level rise has taken over and Miami's become Venice. And climate change has happened, so you can't be out during the day, so everything happens at night. And much like the movie In Time with Amanda Seyfried and Justin Timberlake, where everyone has a finite amount of time, but rich people get to buy more time and you can live forever if you're rich. There are rich people in the new Miami, this dystopian Miami, I guess, where you can build walls and be above sea level and you can be out during the day. A little like Strange Days, wasn't it, Coca? But then Hugh Jackman came up with a machine where you can live in the past. And during the movie Reminisce, you never know if what you are looking at is happening now or before or later. And in that way, it tries to be Inception, but it doesn't quite get there. There's no spinning top at the end. But the last scene of the movie, which I'm definitely not going to spoil, is fascinating about choices we make about future versus past. How many of you would choose to live in the past? I don't mean like Bruce Springsteen glory days living in the past. I don't mean talking about it. I mean living in it where you could live your life in a dream state where you are dreaming about your past, not dreaming that you're Superman, dreaming about actual things that happened and reliving them again and again versus possibly getting your own future. Reminisce makes you think about these things. I strongly suggest watching it. Coca gave it a 6.2. I was slightly higher, but what I will say is that it is worth seeing. So yesterday we got to talking about Steve Cohn's tweet. Do you remember that? Well, wouldn't you know it that Steve Cohn tweeted at me, and I'm not sure why he would do that, but he did. And I did a show yesterday where we talked about how his clubhouse is quite unhappy with him for giving the tweet about how bad his players are. And Coca tried to teach him what a subtweet is, whatever, Coca. I don't care about retweet, quote tweet, subtweet, anti-tweet, no tweet. Tweet that, you twatter. So CBS Sports did a small little article and someone said, if what Samson says here has a flavor of truth, with some of your Mets players, send those guys home and give some of your hungry minor leaguers a shot at the show. And Steve Cohn responded, maybe Samson isn't considering a third constituency that matters, the fans. Hmm, interesting. And I said, if you run your team as a fan, you will be sorry. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Steve Cohen was trying to say that he takes into account the constituency that is you, the fans, while he runs the team, but he didn't hear Jim Beatty give him advice. If you start listening to the fans, you will soon be amongst them. Now, Steve Cohen is worth 15 billion, 20 billion, 100 billion, who cares? 
And his point is, I want to pay attention to what our fans think because I'm a fan. And I want them to know that I care about them. Do you know what fans want? Forgetting the two people on Twitter who agree with you. Fans want to win. They don't care if you're rich or if you're poor. They don't care if you're making money or if you're losing money. They don't care who plays on your team. They pretend they do. Sign this free agent. Don't trade that guy. Trade this guy. If you trade away Lindor tomorrow and win the World Series or make it to October next year, you are a hero. What have you done for me lately? D-D-D-D. Good luck, Steve. You're going to need it. Nothing personal pick of the day. Who watched the Yankees? Are you ready for Giancarlo Stanton to have one of those streaks? Giancarlo Stanton, yes, the Yankee, can carry a team on his back for weeks at a time. And this would be a good time to start because if he gets hot the way he is now, they're going to catch the Rays. Wait to see. That's not a wait to see. Forget that. Atlanta's won nine in a row, having beaten some pretty crappy teams. The Yankees are not crappy. Jordan Montgomery had the kind of start that we thought he would, and the Yankees beat the Braves. We're now 107 and 90. You will not believe my pick today. Is this possible? I am picking the Baltimore Orioles to end their 18-game losing streak against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The Baltimore Orioles are being accused of tanking. They're being accused of being historically bad. They could lose over 110 games. Is this three years in a row, Coke, of losing 110? Or do they lose 105, 110, and now it could be 112? Whatever it is, they've lost well over 100, three seasons in a row. This will be the third season. They're being criticized. Should Angelos be forced to sell the team? Do his sons care about anything but money? Ooh, that sounds familiar. You can care about money and win some games. I like Brandon Hyde, their manager. I had him with the Marlins for a long time. The Orioles just aren't good enough. They haven't made the right decisions. Everyone tries to copy. Everyone tries to copy what the Cubs and the Astros did, where you rebuild and then you win a World Series. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. Remember the Astros lost 100 games so many times and then came back and became great. Their window opened. They're still great without garbage cans this year, by the way. How come no one's talking about that, Coca? How come no no one's acknowledging how great the Astros are without garbage cans, unless they're still using buzzers and garbage cans and everything else? The Orioles in their last three full seasons, I don't want to count the pandemic because, as you know, that 60-game season doesn't mean a thing other than the October results. All regular season results by players and teams are irrelevant from 2020. Last three full seasons, the Orioles lost a buck 15 in 2018, which is hard to do, a buck eight in 2019, and they could lose God knows how many. They got 85 already. But media people are now saying we've got to change the rules. We've got to take away tanking. We've got to disincentivize teams from tanking. That's not right. We've got to disincentivize owners from keeping on GMs and baseball people who aren't good at what they do. We've got to disincentivize owners who run their teams by themselves and pretend they're the baseball people. How do you disincentivize an owner 
from doing a job incorrectly, losing should be enough. But wait a minute. What if there are owners who don't want to win? What if there are owners who are okay with a small payroll and just want to make money? <gasps> that was never us. We had low payrolls, but still lost money. I always wanted to make money. Our owner was less inclined to make money. He just wanted to win, but didn't want to lose too much money. What if there are rich owners who still don't want to lose money and have bad baseball people because they don't listen to them anyway? How do you legislate against that? Newsflash alert, you don't. You don't change a rule trying to impact a situation that has zero chance of being turned around. Think about your own business. Think about your own life. You fight the fights worth fighting. You make the changes that can have the biggest impact on your quality of life, whether that means money or happiness or space or emotionality, whatever it is that you choose. But you cannot force people to do something they don't want to do or to be something or someone they don't want to be or something they don't want to be. If the Angelos family wants to make money and doesn't care about winning and wants to meddle to the point where no one else has a say, you can't legislate against that because they're not going to change even if you change the rules. You're going to make it so there's a salary floor. Good luck. The Angels are going to win today, though. That's the pick of the day. All right, let's do this. So you want to talk to Samson Coca, please. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That is when you get on my Twitter, David P. Samson, and ask a question. <clears throat> I try to get to them on the show. We actually created an email, Coca, didn't we? I think it's nothingpersonalds at gmail.com. If you want to put questions in there as well, but you still have to go to Twitter and follow or Instagram, although I can never find the direct messages. I was with Coca this weekend. He was on my Instagram because before I post anything, I let him know because I'd rather not be canceled today. And he said, look at all these requests you have. And I didn't know where they were. And then I looked at them and I said, oh, my God. And he said, relax, David, those are Russian bots. I said, no way. Look at that photo. He said, relax, David. Those are Russian bots. He said, come on, man. Look at me. I'm 53, but not bad. I sit up straight. I brush my teeth every night. Is there no way those are real people who want to do those things to me that they're saying? And he said, no. I thought these were people sliding into my DMs. Apparently, there is zero sliding going on with good old Samson. This is 53. <laughs> so you get into my Twitter, Dave B. Sampson, ask a question. Could there be a salary floor in Major League Baseball? And can you explain the concept and what you think will happen? Well, thank you for asking about that. While we were sleeping on the land of ice, which is green, not Greenland, which is full of ice. Isn't that funny? Parkways aren't on a park. Highways, are, you're not high. It's very strange. You park in a driveway and drive in a parkway? Huh. There's ice in Greenland and green in Iceland. Anyway, so MLB is now starting their collective bargaining with the union. They've been doing it virtually. They had a first in-person meeting last week in Denver. 
and MLB leaked strategically a proposal they made. And the proposal they made is they were willing to give the union a floor, which is what the union has wanted, which means every team has to spend X number of dollars. And the number was $100 million. There's a bunch of teams who don't have 100 million, who aren't spending $100 million. And those teams would all be forced to raise their payrolls. Therefore, they're going to be signed. They're going to sign free agents and they're going to be competitive. They won't be allowed to tank. Surprise, you can still tank with $100 million payroll. So MLB said, we'll do that. But in return, we want the luxury tax threshold to be lowered from 215 million down to 180 million. What does that mean? That means that any team who spends over $180 million is going to be fined and it's going to be multiplied if they violate that number more than one season. They're going to lose money. They're going to start to lose draft picks. And then on nothing personally, you learn that the luxury tax threshold is the greatest thing that was ever invented for owners and for the sport because it serves as a salary cap. And the players know that. And the players say to themselves, if there's a salary cap, then that ought to come with the salary floor. But MLB suggested 10180, and the players are gonna say, no merci. They're gonna say no thank you. Because players care a lot more in that union about the 180 than they do about the hundred. They don't want teams to stop at 180. Because that would mean the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Mets, the Angels would all have to have $180 million payroll. But then, of course, there'd be exceptions and you'd have an NFL situation or an NBA situation where you can go over the cap. But MLB has been clean. There is a formula that is used to calculate your payroll. If you sign Max Scherzer to a $30 million a year contract, but you defer 29 million of it for 20 years. Guess how much counts towards your luxury tax payroll this year? Not one, 30. You can play whatever financial games you want. If you're an owner, you can defer, you can go full Bobby Bonilla, but it doesn't change how the salaries are calculated for luxury tax threshold purposes. You could hire anyone you want to get around the cap in the NFL and the NBA. There's a whole department for everyone. That's their job. But when there is a clear definition of how taxes are calculated and there's no appeal process, there's no IRS loopholes, there's no flat tax, it is clear as day what you owe and how it's calculated. You can't get around it. So those high payroll teams are not going to want 180 and MLB knows it. The commissioner knows it. They threw it out for a reason because you start at 180 and then you work your way up 185, 190, 195. And every time MLB goes up for the luxury tax threshold, they get something back from the players. So what the owners did, which was so brilliant, is float a number so low entrench themselves in that position that is totally unrealistic. So when they go get off that unrealistic position during the course of a negotiation, they get to say, that's a give. We got to get something in return. Rob Manford and Dan Hallam know exactly what they're doing. 
they're going to outlast, outwit, and outplay the entire union as they usually do. People out there saying, hey, I think there's going to be a floor. They don't understand how the collective bargaining agreement works. The back and forth, the trading, you all do from nothing personal. We're going to keep talking about the back and forth, but all I ask of you is when you see people on Twitter talking about proposals that are going back and forth, you see the anger that certain players or owners or fans have or people in the media have, just remember this is all done purposefully. Every leak, every offer is done. We used to have a flow chart. We would have a step-by-step of what we were going to offer, what we were going to offer then, 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 and where we were willing to settle and what our drop-dead point was for each issue. Minimum salary, we know what we're going to offer first and where we're willing to end up. Salary floor, luxury tax threshold, pension benefits, arbitration issues, who's eligible for arbitration when, what we're going to offer now, and it's all matched because we put a dollar amount next to each offer. We calculate what we are giving the players and what it's going to cost the owners. And when we give in, we want something in return. We know exactly where we are supposed to be. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. And when it does, I revisit it. When it doesn't, I revisit it because I keep track. On May 11th, 2021, we said that Tim Tebow, the day he signed, will not play it down with the Jacksonville Jaguars. How do we do on that? While I was in the land of green, Tim Tebow got released by the Jaguars. That's a straight yes. Urban Meyer did a bunch of save me quotes. Tim Tebow got embarrassed. There was video about how he couldn't block as a tight end. He didn't know the, ro- the formations, the rotations, the blocking schemes, couldn't catch, couldn't throw, couldn't this. Urban Meyer had no choice but to release him. Why did he sign him? Oh, they got a little bump. It was fun. They got some press. You know which teams do gimmicks? Because we did gimmicks all the time. Teams do gimmicks when they're not winning on the field but the Jaguars brought in Urban Meyer to win on the field. They brought in Trevor Lawrence to start and to play now and to start winning now. The distraction of Tim Tebow was totally unnecessary and it was abandoned so quickly under cover of night that they thought no one would notice. The good news is they ripped off the Band-Aid. Tebow's done. He's not gonna sign anywhere else. Career over. Baseball over. Football done. He still has a whole life in front of him. He's so young. The way to see for today is it's it's so easy that it's not fair, Coca, but we're going to do it anyway. When next season starts in Major League Baseball or whenever the collective bargain agreement is announced, I promise you there will not be a salary floor of $100 million. I guarantee it. Wait to see. That's our show. And if you're listening out there and you own a team or you're a fan of a team or you're an executive of a team, it's just business. This is nothing personal. Mm 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 